Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to welcome everyone in the audience today and thank you for taking time to be with us. The mission of Gigabit Nation is to provide information to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get faster, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in America. And on the show today is someone who's been on the front lines of many a battle to do just that, FCC Commissioner Michael Copps. And at this point, um, there's a lot that can, has been, and will be said about the commissioner as he winds down his career with the uh, FCC. But I'll just say, here's a public servant who's a true fighter for the public. Commissioner Copps, welcome to the show. Hey, Craig, thank you. Thanks for the welcome. Thanks for your very kind words there. Appreciate it. Oh, sure. I appreciate the fact that you uh, made some time to, to be with us today. And because uh, you just gave your official notice yesterday that you'll be um, leaving the FCC after this month, and and I know you've been with uh, with the FCC for for ten years and some change, but I'm curious, what's the um, I don't know if if you can define it, the one big accomplishment you've had that you consider the pinnacle of success for your time in this position. Well, it's hard to narrow down, not that I've had so many accomplishments, but these are such edge-of-the-envelope issues and so important to the future of the country. Uh, I have been very passionate, as you probably know, about media issues and the future of media, the future of journalism, and how the transition to uh, a new world of technology is going to affect that. Uh, Some very old questions about how you provide information infrastructure to the citizens of the country so they can make intelligent decisions for the future. So... I've been very involved in that, and I think trying to bring that to the uh, consci- consciousness uh, of the American people and managing to stop some of the uh, loosening of the media ownership limitations that we had in effect would probably be the thing I would mention first. But I'm, uh, I was speaking many, many years ago about the need for a national broadband uh, strategy when I first got here, and, of course, those were the years, uh, 2001 for the next eight years, where we were in this uh, awful situation of uh, not having a policy for how we were going to get this important information infrastructure, get broadband uh, out there and use it to create opportunity for the American people. The uh, regnant uh, governing philosophy at the time uh, seemed to be the market will take care of this, thank you very much. Uh, There's no public interest or public role uh, here for government to play and step aside, please. And uh, back in 2001, we were probably one or two in the world when it came to uh, uh, broadband penetration. Uh, That mentality that took hold then and lasted for the next eight years also consigned us to uh, the nether reaches of the broadband rankings. We went from one or two down to 15 or 20 or 24th, depending upon Uh, whose ratings you read, whether it's OECD or somebody else, and we can argue and quibble about exactly where we should be, but where we aren't is anywhere near the top, and where your country and mine should be is near the top. So uh, I was happy uh, uh, when 2009 came, and uh, we finally started working on getting a, a strategy for the ubiquitous deployment and adoption of broadband, and then also making sure as we did that that we kept this wonderful new tool of the internet uh, open. I was uh, speaking way back in 2002. I was looking at some of my old speeches the other day about uh, 
threats to the Internet from uh, closed access, from uh, toll keepers and gate uh, booths and uh, and too much consolidation on the Internet and making sure that it doesn't go down the same road that traditional media, radio, TV, and cable went down. I don't think anybody wants to cableize the world of uh, broadband, but it could happen unless we're uh, intelligent about it. So we made some progress on uh, open Internet, Internet freedom, or net neutrality, that god-awful term for a very important thing, Internet freedom, and not as far as I would like to have gone, but uh, we made some progress. So, And we also had the digital TV transition that uh, when I became acting chairman for uh, six or seven months, uh, I inherited back in 2009. So we kind of turned this place into a grassroots organization to go out and get the word out that the DTV transition was coming and try to minimize uh, the damage that that was going to cause to uh, viewers who weren't prepared for it. And uh, uh, we got kind of a late start on that. That something should have been cranked up uh, more assiduously in years prior, but I think we kind of minimized it. So those are some of the things that come to mind uh, where I concentrated a lot of activity over the last uh, decade plus. Interesting. Now, one of the, the the most recent accomplishment, I guess, would be the um, Universal Service Fund reform. And I know there's a lot been said about that, and, and people have differing opinions. Um, one of my questions, uh, top questions, is, you know, how can we, you know, the, the people, the general person on the street, the small business, so forth, you know, those most affected by the lack of broadband, have a greater influence over. Um, this Connect America Fund and and USC, uh, USC, uh, FCC broadband policy in general. You know, we, we don't have necessarily the same daily access that the that larger companies have. They have more budget to, mm. you know. Well, one of the things that I have tried to do here, and I probably should have mentioned because uh, it's as important as anything else, is try to. Uh, uh, open this place up to the input of all stakeholders, and everybody is a stakeholder in the decisions that uh, the FCC makes. Uh, everybody has to live with the consequences that the FCC makes, whether it's in telecommunications or uh, or in media or uh, or whatever. And it's oh so easy for any agency in Washington to just become comfortable living the life inside the Beltway. Uh, and seeing those uh, companies who have legions of lawyers and lobbyists and come by with uh, nice little uh, submissions all wrapped up in a pretty bow and uh, and all of that, I've tried to say, uh, let's get this commission outside uh, the Beltway and let's have hearings on the road that's good for the people in order to see the FCC and understand that there is a place called the FCC that's dealing with issues of uh, public moment, and it's good for the FCC to get out and talk to people. And we, we, Jonathan Allistein, when he was commissioner here, and now Commissioner Clyburn and myself are uh, believers in going out. We just had a hearing down in Atlanta uh, last Thursday on uh, some of the media policies here. So uh, that's very important. You're right. We just passed a, a fairly comprehensive reform of the universal service uh, uh, system. Uh, not everything, this is going to evolve over time. It's a transition, so we have to make sure that there's 
continuing input from uh, from the public, from stakeholders, from consumers, from uh, uh, citizens, and be able to make mid-course corrections where they're essential. When you do something this comprehensive, you know there's going to be some unintended uh, consequences. Hopefully we have built sufficient flexibility into the reform to accommodate those uh, uh, <coughs> those unexpected uh, consequences. So we'll be... Uh, We'll be looking to everyday experience to see how that goes. And then uh, I think, uh, you know, we shouldn't make the mistake that just because we have reformed universal service, that therefore we have a plan to get broadband out to every unserved and underserved community in the United States of America. That's a national mission. That's a national strategy. That demands a commitment far bigger than, than universal service. Universal service... Uh, is a $7 billion program, which is a considerable program, but if you're talking about getting high-speed, uh, high-value-laden uh, value broadband to every American, you're talking about more than that. So so I think the, the reform of the universal service system, bringing it into the broadband era, starting it seriously down that road is a good and fine and, and essential uh, thing to do, but that is not going to translate automatically into solving all of our uh, problems any more than uh, in, the, in the next month or so after I leave here, the Commission is going to tee up the uh, Lifeline and Link Up, the low-income programs to encourage uh, broadband adoption by uh, those who, uh, who need some help in getting it. Uh, and that Lifeline and Link Up program will help, but that's a billion two or something like that uh, a year. Again, not inconsiderable, but nowhere near you, what you would need to really take care of all of those folks in these hard times who are experiencing difficulties and making sure that they have broadband and also getting the kind of uh, digital literacy and uh, media literacy that that we need uh, out in the country if we're going to compete successfully as a as a nation but we we need to realize that building this infrastructure is a partnership the other crowd had it wrong in saying that uh, the private sector can do it all by itself but it is equally true that the public sector cannot do it all by itself, particularly in these uh, budget-strapped times in which uh, you and I and everybody who's listening in today uh, live. So infrastructure has always been a public-private partnership in this country. You can go back to the early days when we built uh, bridges and turnpikes and rudimentary roads and canals and uh, uh, you'll find that there was a public-private partnership. Not everybody agreed on it, and we fought like heck about it, but at the end of the day, we found ways to build roads, to build railroads, to build the transcontinental railroads. We did the same thing, public-private partnership with rural electricity and with plain old telephone service, POTS, as it's uh, uh, called. It's, uh, that's been the American way, the... Uh, uh, the lapse, really, and the deviation came with that mentality that we didn't need to do that anymore. Now we're finally getting back into the traditional American way of trying to have government policy, some government goals for the future of the country, and we all know we got to have broadband, cognizant of the fact that the private sector is, is a locomotive to pull us all, but working together in states and localities and municipalities, and certainly when you come to broadband, You've got to look for innovation and creativity on the municipal level, the local level, the regional level, and it's not just uh, the province of one or two or uh, a few companies to uh, uh, be given the responsibility for building broadband. This is a, this is a tremendous challenge. It's going to take a lot of us pulling together, and mm -hmm. I encourage that we have 100 and 
30-some cities or whatever it is now, municipalities who are building their own broadband networks, if, uh, if a company's not going to go in there and build out, why shouldn't that happen? I mean, goodness gracious, people uh, are hungry for this stuff. They know that this is the opportunity of the future, and uh, what really disappoints me is when some of these uh, really large telecoms go into states and they try to pass legislation prohibiting uh, municipalities and cooperatives and, and that kind of uh, innovation. Uh, all that does is put a break on uh, uh, the effort of the country to build itself into a broadband future. Mm -hmm. Now, in that vein, are there any options or mechanisms in the reform order that's been developed that would allow folks at the community level or at the, the regional level to influence where and how that money yeah, is? Yeah, I think we've got, if you take a look at that order, and I know it's a big uh, big piece of paper, a big piece <laughs> of paper, 700 and some pages developed, but... Uh, uh, I push for, and others push for, let's make sure we mention things like uh, cooperatives, and we mentioned uh, municipal broadband. Now, translating that into reality is is going to be the uh, uh, the job, but hopefully we will be uh, encouraging of that, and some of the mechanisms and funding and the Connect America program will uh, be able to do that. And as you know, as a result of the uh, Recovery Act uh, a few years ago when the new administration came to town, uh, money was set aside, I think it was like $7 billion for the Department of Commerce and the Department of Agriculture's Rural Utility Service to give broadband grants, and some of those broadband grants did find their way into uh, uh, some innovative efforts like uh, like you're talking about. So I would hope that we'll have some good success stories coming out of those uh, grants, and I hope that uh, the people who really represent kind of this movement toward municipal broadband and and uh, broadband on the uh, local level will really find a way to to band together. You know, po po policy making is like politics; it's a game of addition. And where if there's success stories in different parts of the country, I hope somebody is compiling those uh, success stories. And I think it's being done to some extent. But I think people at the commission, people in Congress, decision makers around the country, state legislatures, all those people ought to know that this stuff can work. If you don't get in the way of it or if you don't prohibit it, uh, that it can allow uh, broadband to flourish in places where it might not flourish and certainly might not flourish as soon uh, as soon as it could. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> so are you saying that people will, that there are ways in order to influence, uh, like the kinds of things I think about are, you know, we see money going to X company or Y company and maybe they don't have the best plan if you're in that particular community because as a community you know best what makes sense. Does that community have an option to say, you know, we don't think these, you know, Connect America funds should go this route, we think it should go to over to here. With well, I think when we get into the Connect America fund, and particularly if we get into some of the uh, reverse auction uh, uh, scenarios, and you put the uh, unserved areas out uh, for, for those who can serve them, that opens up the possibility for all sorts of different folks, uh, not just a couple of big companies, to, uh, uh, to, to put a bid in to serve. Now, I'm I've always had a question or two. Yeah, I'm a big believer in competition. Unfortunately, we had a lot more competition back in 2001 when I got here uh, than we have now. Uh, I hope I wasn't the cause of that. <laughs> I don't think I was. <laughs> uh, but uh, but having that kind of competition now with this uh, new measure, 
uh, it's going to be one company uh, you know, in an area that will be uh, supported, really, because the fund can't afford to subsidize three or four or five uh, competitors in an area. But the element of competition will come in with the uh, uh, reverse auctions and who's willing to serve those and, uh, and who's going to do it. So we we got to implement. Again, there are going to be some unintended consequences there. But that is a tool that, if it is properly uh, administered and proper with proper oversight, I think can open up some avenues for some pretty interesting and innovative kind of broadband uh, entrepreneurship and mm-hmm. uh, experimentation. One one of the questions um, that I've heard uh, voiced in a number of avenues has to do with um, w- with wireless. Now, a lot of innovative. Uh, I think work, and in particular, just work being done in places where it wouldn't be broadband without it, are a lot of these small <clears throat> wireless Internet service providers. And yet, if we look at something like, say, for example, the Mobility Fund, which is geared to be a, a set-aside amount of money to help facilitate uh, some wireless deployment, but in the context of a $4.5 billion fund, are we shortchanging the kinds of work that could be coming out of more um, wireless ISPs uh, if if they were given a bigger access or access to a bigger piece of the pie? Well, I hope not. I don't think so. I am. I was not one of those uh, folks who was saying we need to cap this uh, fund where it is right now. I understand the exigencies of the moment that uh, that uh, encourage uh, that capping, but I was not for uh, uh, capping it years ago, and I'm, I wasn't for capping it now for the reasons that you and I discussed at the outset of the uh, show here. This is, uh, this is an expensive undertaking. We're talking not $7 billion a year, but we're talking, uh, you know, estimates go up into uh, 100, 200, 300, uh, uh, billion dollars if you were going to really have the kind of thoroughgoing uh, over the course of years uh, uh, build out of, of broadband. So, uh, uh, But I think an effort, a sincere effort was made in the universal servicing to be technology neutral. I don't think anybody would accuse the current leadership here at the commission of being at all uh, oblivious or ignoring the realities or or the great potentials of uh, uh of wireless uh, they believe we believe in wireless we see uh, uh people uh, disconnecting the old wire line every day uh, young people other people going uh, wireless so uh, certainly wireless has an incredibly important role to play as we transition to a, a broadband world and uh, uh, hopefully the plan will work that way and again if it doesn't then we'll have to uh, uh, rejigger a little bit. The important thing is though that we, we need to give this plan an opportunity to work and uh, I was out in St. Louis at the uh, NARUC uh, convention a few weeks ago the National Association of Regulatory Utility Commissioners those are all the state regulators and uh, uh, I said I was going to give the the uh, broadband cop out award to the first person who took us to court. Well, unfortunately, already we have uh, a company and a in a state uh, who has taken us to court on this, and uh, and others are talking about it. 
And if we're going to tie this all up in the courts for another five years while we continue our slide down that uh, rankings chart of uh, broadband uh, nations of the world, we are really shooting ourselves uh, in the face. Not only are we uh, uh, consigning this particular new plan to oblivion, but it just means we're we're going to be stuck uh, for for that many more years. So I, I was strongly urging people, let's let's just take this as a more than a good faith effort. I think Chairman Janikowski put together an exhaustive and a comprehensive uh, uh, review here. Uh, when everybody's liking, it wasn't a hundred percent to anybody's liking. There are things in the broad in the uh, universal service plan that I certainly would have changed. I had a long statement on. But we are where we are, and for the first time since I've been here, somebody stepped up to the plate and came forward with a reform of the universal service system and the intercarrier compensation system. They said it couldn't be done, but it was done. And I think, by and large, I think the reaction in the various communities has been pretty good. Now, maybe people are still mulling over those 700 pages before we hear more of them, but I think most, uh, a lot of observers are saying, well, this was balanced. There's some awfully tough calls in here, but uh, it wasn't arbitrary and capricious. There was a, a lot of forethought that went into this, so let's give it a shot, and that's uh, that's my attitude, too, because we, we can't afford to play around with this. I mean, we have a country that is in as serious a straits uh, uh, as I can remember, and I'm a pretty old fella, and I think, you know, we have uh, a very high unemployment rate. We have uh, lots of people without jobs. We've got uh, international com com competitiveness, uh, really a big question. No, not a question mark. I mean, we're just not competing the way this country uh, used to compete. We've outsourced so much. We've got tremendous... Uh, shortfalls in education and energy dependence and uh, the condition of the climate. We have all of these problems to deal with, and none of them is without a broadband component as part of its solution. I mean, broadband isn't going to solve any of those problems, but none of those problems are solvable unless we get broadband really out there and let it w work its opportunity-creating dynamic. This is the most opportunity-creating technology in the history of humankind. And if we're just going to give it the last attention that we have so far, and if we're not going to make it a priority and not make it a national mission, then we're consigning the country to uh, to even deeper problems, and we, we can't take too many deeper problems that we got right now. Right. I'll probably circle back to the broadband uh, issue in a little bit. I know that one of the other issues that you've been pretty passionate about is uh, media consolidation. Where is the media going? Mm -hmm. And before we went live, you and I discussed a little bit about the fact that broadband and the media in many respects have become inter intertwined, and that is allowing people to redefine media. Do you see that continuing, and, and how will that redefinition of the media uh, either work in favor of, of smaller communities? Yeah. Uh, well, we don't know. Right now, it's a, it's a big question mark. I am worried that uh, because of our inattention to some of the public interest uh, uh, questions uh, with regard to broadband, that we're uh, heading down a road that could lead to the... Uh, cableization of the uh, internet, what happened to traditional media, newspapers, radio, television, cable, that kind of consolidation 
that kind of control of uh, access, of open access, could come to broadband, and that would be a tragedy of historic dimensions when, as I say, this is such an opportunity creating uh, uh, t technology and uh, capable of contributing so profoundly to the resolution of our problems, but if we just let it uh, let it go, uh, we're, we're courting disaster. Now, ideally, you think about broadband, new media, look at the opportunities there. You could have a new town square of democracy literally paved with broadband bricks, but we're nowhere near that right now. And as a matter of fact, we have some serious challenges in the on in the Internet and in the world of, of new media. And while there's exciting and interesting entrepreneurship and experimentation going on on the Internet, what is not going on on the Internet is the creation of a model that can sustain all of the investigative journalism that is so much at risk right now. We've lost a lot in traditional media with hundreds of newsrooms closed across this country in the TV newsroom, the newspaper newsroom, with thousands of reporters who are walking the streets in search of a job rather than working the beats in search of, uh, of a story. We have so most most of the news that folks are seeing on the internet is coming from where it's still coming over ninety ninety five percent of it is still coming from the traditional media the newspaper newsroom the TV broadcast newsroom it's just that there's so much less of it because of all the cutbacks that I attribute in large part to the the consolidation the bottom line mentality the carrying costs of financing all of these huge transactions and oh god we got to cut something now in order to finance a deal where's the first place they cut and too often it's been in the uh, uh, in the newsroom so it's a seamless thing it's not a question of old media and traditional media versus new media it's kind of a seamless world we live in a world where we have all of this media and we've got to come to terms with it and we have to make it serve the public interest and make sure it is nourishing a civic dialogue so that we can have Americans step up to the plate and make intelligent decisions for the future of the country and we have dumbed down to be very frank about it the uh, quality of our democratic small d democratic dialogue our civic dialogue uh, too much of it is factless. Uh, too much of the investigative journalism is gone. Too much of it is glitzy infotainment instead of hard news. It's opinion instead of fact. And none of these problems I mentioned are going to get resolved with that kind of attention. They, they, they demand a little more serious uh, consideration. So I think this place, the FCC, has a role to play, uh, several roles to play. Number one, it has a media jurisdiction over parts of the civil media, particularly the uh, uh, broadcast world, uh, which, as I say, has been so consolidated with a few mega companies gobbling up so many local independent uh, uh, stations, and uh, uh, we've got to do uh, uh, we've got to do something about that. Mm -hmm. And this place where I work, the FCC, from the public standpoint, as a private sector standpoint and a public sector standpoint, of all these problems, we have walked away from the public interest oversight that once upon we had once upon a time we had we had license renewals for broadcasters every three years now it's eight years we used to have a set of guidelines are you going out and talking to your viewers in your communities of service about the kind of programming they're covering are you covering diverse programs are you serving this that, and the other need and you didn't have to meet all of those but we made a uh, an intelligent judgment about whether uh, a licensee was serving the public interest that's all gone we got a chairman who came here in 1980, and he said, you know, television says just to 
just a, a toaster with pictures and uh, just another appliance, in other words, and that's about the attention. I think in some ways the toaster got more attention than the uh, TV station uh, did, and we're paying the cost of that right now. So we got to we got to fix the traditional, and if you do that with broadcast, it'll have some spillover with newspapers because there's a lot of cross-ownership there. But we also have to have an intelligent discussion about as media as it migrates to a broadband world, what about the public interest responsibilities there? If that's going to be where everything takes place and the civic engagement takes place, what do we what do we expect from that? And nobody thinks that you can go in and regulate the uh, internet, uh, a global phenomenon, and, uh, and and so open and dynamic. Nobody wants to do that. But by, by the same token, when that becomes the vehicle by which you and your people are communicating. And the way you're conversing with one another, then you have to make sure it's working to serve the public interest. So now, do you think it's kind that of hard to have that discussion right now when we all rail and rant at each other? But uh, that's, that's one of the true. things we should be doing now to protect for the future. Mm -hmm. Well, a question I have is: if you get to and have expanded uh, internet coverage, where there's more broadband in more places, and it's more meaningful broadband, meaning you know able to handle all of the multimedia technologies, and you have an open internet. Can local people harnessing the power of that Internet offset some of the downside of consolidation? Not saying that we encourage consolidation, but right. you know, I'm trying to give people a little, like a stake of hope here to say, you know, well, they one can, of the ways yes. to fight back is to... Yeah, uh, the, the potential is awesome, and it's, uh, it can be uh, disruptive in the, in the best uh the best kind of fashion, but it's not. That's not going to happen on uh, on autopilot, and it's not going to happen if we turn our heads while the consolidators take more and more control. While we don't know who's in control of the internet, there are very few barriers to being heard on the internet. I mean, I, we can all sit down at our keyboard and say what we want and send it out into the uh, blogosphere or out into the ether. But there's also some interest in where does it go from there and how does it get to people who really might be interested in it and what does the search engine do and who does it favor and disfavor and all that. And these are these are all new kinds of questions that we have to answer with this new kind of technology. But, uh, again, they're very old challenges for uh, for a country that's trying to get news and information out to uh, to the people. Do you think that the 4.1 <clears throat> broadband speed standard, 4 megs down, 1 meg up, and I know that's supposed to be increased by a couple of megs over some period of time, but isn't there a danger that that could become um, a straitjacket? Because if you look at where, uh, what technologies are governing what's going on in the, on the web, creative use of video is one of those things. When you talk about media, whether it's broadcast or print, Video is a, is a is a serious component, but if we if we set that standard or we adhere to that standard, couldn't people in essence say, well, you know, if this is the standard, this is the most we're going to do, and thank you and have a nice day? No, uh, I don't think that's what anybody uh, voted for uh, uh, here at the commission, and I think we all certainly, I know I did, and I think my colleagues too, saw this as as an evolving thing. Uh, the 401 was an aspiration at the time. We're probably at the point already maybe where it should, it should go up. But on the other hand, uh, we also have to be cognizant of the fact of how do you get that basic service out uh, 
to some really remote areas, and you can't have a 100-meg standard for that right now because there's, <laughs> there's no universal service fund or, or national budget that's going to support uh, uh, support it, so it's a it's an evolving uh, aspiration, and I think uh, I think the chairman here and my colleagues are all cognizant uh, of that fact. It's a, it's a, a marker along the road, but it's going to evolve, and uh, we we can't do the business of this country's future on, uh, on a four and one standard. And I think most most people realize that. So you you think that there will be a natural somewhere from yes, I, I do. Change okay, and we'll move that. So look, I, I know that you have a, uh, a a tight schedule, and I want to be mindful of your time. I have more questions if you can stay longer, but if you have to go, I think the audience will understand that you are busy and you do have a lot of meetings. Yeah, and I think it. I've got to run because I'm supposed to be uh, on the other side of town in about 20 minutes. But uh, I, I very much enjoyed this opportunity to chat with you. Be happy to. Uh, do so again if you're interested in talking to a retired uh, government official. <laughs> well, you know, uh, after we, I can, leave we here, can work that out. I'd love we to do it, and out. I'll have a little more, a little more leisure time then too. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Commissioner. I really, appreciate I enjoyed it. Appreciate you talking about these issues. Appreciate all the good work you do to draw people's attention to it, and uh, it couldn't be more important. So, hats off to you. Well, thank you very much, sir. That's high Colvin, and I really appreciate that. Thank you. Bye. All right. You, you have a good day. You too. All righty. Thank you in the audience for being with us today uh, for our interview with the commissioner. Um, uh, have a great day next week. We're still working on our schedule for next week. We'll still have some, uh, some interesting shows on deck for then. Uh, until then, thank you very, very much. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon.